For our scripture reading, we turn to Ephesians, the book of Ephesians. We begin at the end of verse, uh, the end of chapter 5. Start at verse 30. Bring out that the context speaks about our calling as husbands and wives and parents and children and servants and masters. And then we have the exhortation that we consider tonight. We start at verse 30 of chapter 5. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth, and ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, in singleness of your heart as unto Christ, not with eye service as men pleasers but as the servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with good will doing service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatsoever good thing any man doeth, the same shall he receive of the Lord, whether he be bond or free. And ye masters do the same things unto them, forbearing threatening, knowing that your master also is in heaven, neither is there respect of persons with him. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, 
and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints and for me, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in bonds, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak, that ye also may know my affairs and how I do, Tychicus, a beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, shall make known to you all things, whom I have sent unto you for the same purpose, that ye might know our affairs, and that he might comfort your hearts. Peace be to the brethren, and love with faith, from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all them that love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. Amen. So far we read from the, from the scriptures tonight. And the text that we consider consists of verses 10 to 12. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Dearly beloved, in our Lord Jesus Christ, we read some of the context of this verse, that the text that, or this text, that this text follows a number of practical uh, exhortations that the book of Ephesians, as some of the other books also, some of the other epistles of Paul also, See, in the first part, there's more of a doctrinal section and laying out of various doctrines, and then towards the end, there's a number of exhortations. Bring out the connection between the doctrine that we hold to and the life that we live, and the importance that we show that we love the truth by in our daily life that we're walking in obedience to our God which is a manifestation of the fact that we really do hold to that truth and that we love that truth and that our desire is that the name of our God be magnified. Well, there's a number of these exhortations in this section, like in the beginning of chapter 5. We're exhorted to be imitating God, our Father. Be ye therefore followers of God as Dear children, and walk in love. We're to love God, we're to love one another. And then it mentions fornication and all uncleanness or covetous, let it not be once named among you, nor filthiness, nor foolish talking, and so on. And then warns about the judgment that come upon those that walk in the ways of sin. And... We're told to not be drunk with wine in verse 18. 
but be filled with the Spirit. And then there's the calling of the husband and the wife. And then there's the calling of children and their parents, children to obey their parents, to honor their father and mother. Parents, specifically the fathers, not to provoke their children to wrath, but to bring up their children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And then a reference to servants and masters, which we make an application there to employers and employees, and how we are to glorify God in the workplace. And then in this text, we have an exhortation to be strong in the Lord, in the power of his might. And relating that to what is said before, we struggle to do what we're called to do. It's one thing to hear what we're called to do and what we're told not to do to understand what we're to do and what we're not to do. But we who have a sinful nature and who have enemies that continue to assault us, not only our sinful flesh, but we have the devil and the demons and this ungodly world that cease not to assault us also, we struggle to do what we're called to do. To love one another in our homes, for there to be peace and communion in our homes, fellowship with one another in the church of Jesus Christ, that we commune together, fellowship together, that we glorify God also in the workplace, that we fight against our spiritual foes that keep assaulting us. We struggle to do that. And we are exhorted here, be strong in the Lord. In the power of his might, look to him for the strength you need to resist temptation and to do what God calls you to do. And also when we consider this passage and when we look, step back and look at this passage and the exhortation here, Good to can look at ourselves and how we view ourselves in the Christian life. How do we think we're doing? To what do we degree do we see the need for this strength from God? Because it's easy for us to look at ourselves. We know that we're sinners. We have depraved natures. We'll acknowledge that. But it's easy for us to look at the commandments relatively superficially and to think, well, we know what we're called to do and, and we're doing these things. We know the things we're not supposed to do and, well, we're not doing things we're not supposed to do. We're not perfect. We know we fall far short of the mark. But we, don't, we tend not to consider our sins to the degree that we ought and how great our sins and miseries are and how much we need God's grace. And that manifests itself in that we don't pray to God with the fervency and the frequency that we ought for the grace in this battle. 
And we do pray, and each one of the other, you know, we would say, sure, we do pray to God for the strength that we need in the battle. But if we look at it from the viewpoint, to the degree that we ought, do we see our need for this? Do we see how great our sins are and how our, we're so weak that we wouldn't stand a moment and we need God to strengthen us? And do we fervently call out to him for the strength from on high? Well, not to the degree that we ought. And we recognize that God in this text is exhorting us. Be strong in the Lord. See your need for the strength. Recognize that there are spiritual enemies, many of them, that are assaulting you night and day. Don't underestimate your and my need for the grace that comes from God. And we have this exhortation here that tells us to be exhorts us to be strong in the Lord and speaks to us about how there are these principalities, powers, rulers of darkness, spiritual wickedness in high places that are coming against us. And that is told us, we are told that, and then we are exhorted, now look to God for grace. We're exhorted that as adults, we're exhorted that as children, as young people, Look to God for the grace that you and your children need in the battle. We consider this exhortation under that theme, exhorted to be strong in the Lord. We consider, first of all, the warfare, secondly, the strength, and then thirdly, the promise, exhorted to be strong in the Lord. First of all, with regard to the passage, uh, the enemies. What is mentioned in the passage regarding the enemies, it speaks of principalities and powers. Now, that word translated principalities is a word that in a number of pet passages is translated as beginning, has the idea of the beginning or first first ones, first ones in first place. And then the second word, powers, has the idea of authorities. So that you have, a, and this the reference here, when it says we're not wrestling against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, against spiritual wickedness, against those that are called rulers, Rulers of the darkness of this world. The terms here are referring to the demons with whom we have to battle. Principalities, powers, authorities, rulers of the darkness, spiritual wickedness in high places, demons that are cruel that are malicious. And they assault us constantly and would have us do the opposite of what God calls us to do. So right after a section that where there's a number of exhortations, then we're told now there are these enemies that are going to try to get you to do the opposite 
of what you're exhorted to do. And they're going to try to get you to do exactly what God says, do not do. Just like in the Garden of Eden, where God tells Adam what he's not to do, and then very quickly there's an enemy telling him to do exactly what God told him not to do. Now, someone may say, well, when we say not with flesh and blood, though, we, we talk about a threefold enemy. We refer to the devil and the demons and our sinful flesh. We also speak of the ungodly world as our enemy that continues to assault us those of this world. And we would say, yes, they continue to assault us too, but we are not fighting them in a spiritual, in a, in a physical way. It is against them also a spiritual battle. We're not pursuing, you know, the kingdom. The kingdom itself is a spiritual kingdom, and the battle in which we are engaged is a spiritual battle against those who are tempting us to do the opposite of what God says. In fact, when we talk in Lord's Day 12, what do we do as kings? It doesn't say that we strive to bring about some earthly kind of a kingdom. It doesn't say that's what we do as kings. It says we fight sin and Satan with a good conscience. We turn to God asking God to forgive our sins and to cleanse us. We ask him for forgiveness and deliverance. Genuinely, sincerely, we fight against sin and Satan. That's what we do as kings under Christ. It's a spiritual battle. And there are many that are tempting us to go in wrong directions. There are many that shoot at us with their words try to as they attack us one thing about the Psalms we often talk about the importance of singing the Psalms and we're conscious of the fact that when we sing in the Psalms we are very often there is a reference to the spiritual nature of the battle and these enemies that are assaulting us and we know that David was used by God to write the inspiration by, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He wrote a number of these psalms. He who was persecuted and pursued, even by many that were referring to themselves as God's people, were coming after him. And in his own struggles with sin, his own sin, we have many enemies that keep shooting at us. In Psalm 64, we say, we speak of our enemies who wet their tongue like a sword and bend their bows to shoot their arrows, even bitter words, that they may shoot in secret at the perfect. Suddenly do they shoot at him and fear not. They encourage themselves in an evil matter. They commune of laying snares privily. They say, who shall see them? Now that's in Psalm 64. The, the examples from the Psalms would be many that make a reference to the battle. 
and to the tactics that our enemies use and what they do. And that we live in the consciousness that there are these enemies coming after us. Like you think of somebody that was in a, physical, in a situation physically that somebody was shooting at them. And you think of a man with his children, and all of a sudden the child says, Dad, somebody's shooting at us. And the danger, there's somebody actually shooting. Well, that's the language that's used here in the viewpoint of the spiritual battle. To bring out to us the fact that there are these enemies that are assaulting us. They are, and they hate us. And it's, we're told this, and then we're exhorted, go to God. See your need for his strength. Go to God. These enemies tempt us to to fear, to do what they say out of perhaps fear, to go against them. Perhaps they'll mock or ridicule us, or they'll make things difficult for us in one way or another. And they try to get us to do what they would say. There are those that try to get us to commit a sin like fornication. There are those that try to get us to sin in the sense of going a wrong way from a doctrinal point of view or from a church political point of view. They'll try to direct us in the wrong direction. They're enemies that tempt us to bear a grudge and to be angry. When we look at passages where there's reference to the devil and the, and the enemies, the different enemies that attacked us and tempt us, we're warned, we're warned that we not bear a grudge against a brother or sister in Christ. And yet how easily we can be doing that. There can be some, and we can think that we're, we're just, you know, that it's all right that we're doing that because somebody said something that they shouldn't have said or they did something to us they shouldn't have done. And so we rightly bear a grudge against them. And we may be denying that we bear a grudge against them, but we're very frequently in our thoughts thinking negatively of them, and we like to talk negatively about them to other people. And we may even do it in our homes, perhaps talking to some family member in our homes negatively. And then if somebody else is in the house, and we didn't realize that person was in the house, and then they are overhearing us talking negatively about someone, we may wonder, now why didn't you tell me that so-and-so was in the house? And then you think, well, why? Are you, are you talking about things that, is the way you're talking really not proper? Is that why you're concerned about the fact that somebody may have heard what you said? When somebody has sinned against us, we know what we're supposed to do. We also know what we're not supposed to do. And we have a tendency to do what we're not supposed to do and not do what we're supposed to do. 
And it's easy for us to downplay the, the seriousness of that. Our enemies would tempt us to violate the fifth commandment. We live in a time where there's blatant disrespect for those in positions of authority. We see that all around us. And our enemies would tempt us to do the same. Blatantly disrespect parents, dishonor elders and deacons in the church, speak in a way that shows that we, dishonor, that we want to dishonor them, not submitting to those in positions of authority, or in the workplace, being with eye service as men pleasers rather than serving Christ, doing what we're told when somebody's watching us, but not from the heart serving Christ. We live in a time where there's blatant rejection of this commandment, and we're tempted to just join right in. And of course, as far as the seventh commandment is concerned, it's an ongoing assault of us and our children and our grandchildren. When we're exhorted here, fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as becometh saints. We're told to flee fornication. That the world is always trying to get us to have thoughts of that are uh, of, of a fornication, sexual uncleanness. Today, trying also to promote the idea of having thoughts and desires for those of the same sex. Trying to get us to go in the opposite direction of what God tells us to do. And in our business practices, to violate the commandments of God. And to steal, or to do things that are dishonest, or to be slothful, and to not really study the word that we know we're supposed to, but we find that when we get started, we qu it's easy to quit very rapidly. And you and I know that. If you ask somebody asks you, you know, how often do you spend really studying the Word? Reading it, it's very important that we read it, but how often do you spend studying it? And when you do get started studying it, how long does it take before you decide that's enough and you quit? Where other things we could read for, you know, if we like to read, there's other things we could read for a long period of time. But to to do this kind of reading of the searching of the scriptures, it's easy for us to quit quickly. Or how about in praying? As was mentioned earlier, how fervently do we pray? We're told to pray, pray without ceasing. And how quickly we, how quickly in our prayers we, we stop. Or when we're praying, we're not really all that much thinking about what we're saying. We struggle to do that. In our own personal prayers, when somebody else is leading in prayer, somebody else may be leading in prayer and they say, Amen, and we realize our mind was somewhere else. And that can be the case even when we're praying ourselves. 
And even when we're the ones uttering the words, that our mind starts to wander and we start to even forget ourselves what we're really talking about. Or we just say things in kind of a mechanical way and repeat phrases that we often say. We struggle. We struggle to do what we're called to do. And these enemies, these demons come against us. They come against us who are Christians. Now in the new man, we're righteous and holy. In the new man, we love God. We say in the scripture, says, you know, I delight in the law of God after the inward man. The law of God is written in our heart. We don't sin when you look at us from the viewpoint of the new man. But we have just a small beginning of the new obedience. And we still have a depraved nature. And when you look at us from the viewpoint of our depraved nature, darkness, depraved, our nature, our sinful nature, and these are rulers of the darkness. Rulers of the darkness of this world. And our sinful nature desires to do what the world desires to do. And we're warned, don't let sin reign. Put off the old man. Put on the new. Don't let sin reign. That's in Romans 6, verse 12. These demons are under God's control. God tries our faith. 1 Peter 1, verse 7 speaks of how God tries our faith. He tells us what we're called to do. He warns us about what we're not to do. He tells us about enemies that are going to try to get us to do what we're not to do. And we are to engage in spiritual warfare, trusting in our God, believing his words. There are many crafty enemies when it speaks of the wiles of the devil. That English word wile, a wile is referring to a trick to deceive. The Greek word there has the idea of being crafty. They lie in wait to deceive. We read of the devil as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And that's another illustration. You know, you think of a man with his children, all of a sudden in their vicinity as a roaring lion. And that's the illustration that's used. And you think if, if it, from a bodily point of view, if they're really, you know, if, if we were really, if we were next to a, a lion was in our vicinity, that there would be the warning. There's a lion, and he's coming in this direction, and quickly, very quickly, he'd be seeking to to find shelter. And the illustration is, we have to see the battle we're engaged in, and these many enemies that are coming against us. And we're told this, then, and that telling us this is connected with the exhortation, look to God for the strength 
that you need. Our whole life, not just when we're young people, but our whole life. You have the example of David when he was a young man. He stands up against Goliath. As a young man. Then what did he do when he got older? The horrible sin he fell into. Adultery and murder. Somebody who was a man after God's own heart, who, who truly loved God. How grievous. Our whole life, we have to see our need for strength, that we go to God for it. Be strong in the Lord. Bringing out the idea that you're, you and I are so weak in ourselves we wouldn't stand. It says be strong in the Lord, in the power of his might. Which brings out that idea of our own weakness and that we need his might, his strength. Similar language is found in the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 52, that we see in, our, in this battle, our Lord's Day 52, when we pray, which explains the petition, Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. It brings up the enemies, just like this passage. It mentions that they cease not to assault us, as we have mentioned. And then the request is that God give us strength, just like mentioned here. That's what we're praying when we say, deliver us from evil. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We say, this is just the last part of the answer 127. Do thou therefore preserve and strengthen us, strengthen us, by the power of thy Holy Spirit, so we're looking to God for our strength. The Holy Spirit is the power of God. The second person, the Son, is the word, wisdom, and image. And the third person is the eternal power and might of God, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. And we ask God to strengthen us by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what we're requesting. We look to him to strengthen us, and the idea is not that it's going to be easy, but that we're asking God for the strength that we may constantly and strenuously resist our foes. That we may not be overcome in this spiritual warfare. We ask God to strengthen us that we may not be overcome, 
but that we may constantly and strenuously resist our foes. Now that brings out it's not the case that if he gives us strength, it's going to be the case that it's going to be an easy the battle. We will have to resist constantly, strenuously resist our foes. And we're asking God for the strength to do that. So it isn't that it isn't going to be a strenuous battle. It is, but we're looking to God to strengthen us. Be strong in the Lord. Put on the armor of God. Put on the whole armor of God. Be strong in the Lord. Put on the armor of God. And then that's explained in more detail in what's following. Putting on the armor of God. And it mentions things like the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Bringing to, think, go, going to the Word, quoting the Word, we're, con, we're aware of the fact that Jesus, when he was tempted, were you children who go through this in catechism, where Jesus was tempted of the devil. He goes in the wilderness and he... Tempted in the, the devil, for example. You're the son of God. Make these stones, command these stones to become bread. When he was tempted, what did Jesus do each time? He kept quoting the scriptures. And so also when we are tempted... We are to say, I will not do that, for my God says, and going to the scripture, bringing to remembrance the things, meditating on what God has told us to do and what not to do. Going to the word, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Speaks of the shield of faith. We're to trust in God. Trust in our Lord. Believe his words. It speaks of the hope of the helmet of salvation. Or in 1 Thessalonians 5, it speaks of the helmet of the hope of salvation. That we fight as those who have hope and who know who know that Christ has accomplished all that was necessary for our salvation. We have hope. And we're to fight as those who have hope. We're to put on the armor. Put on Christ. In Romans 13, verse 14, we're told, Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh. Or to look for God for the strength that we need. Put on the old, to put on the new man. Put off the old and put on the new. 
Now, when we talk about the fighting of Satan, sometimes Satan and the demons, sometimes people look at that and they wonder, well, how, how can the demons get me? These demons, you know, how can they get me? What, what are we supposed to do in the fighting of these demons? There's all these demons that come against us. How, how can they get at us? What are we to do? And the answer that's given, that's already answered in our Lord's day, is resist them. What they try to do is they try to get us to do the opposite of what God says. Resist them. Resist them, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. That's what James 4 says. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. We fight sin in Satan. Resist the temptation to sin. The devil and the demons are trying to get us to sin. Resist the temptations to sin. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. This is the language of first, this is James 4, verses 7 and 8. Similar language is found in 1 Peter 5, when it talks about the devil as a roaring lion. Whom resists steadfast in the faith. There it makes a reference to faith. We talked about the shield of faith. Resist him steadfast in the faith. The devil as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour, whom resist steadfast in the faith. Fight as one who has a good conscience, who's not walking in a sin, who comes to God when we sin, constantly coming to God asking for forgiveness. And deliverance. Notice how we have that in the Lord's Prayer. Before the, this petition for deliverance, we have this petition for forgiveness. And we're to come praying that, not like somebody that asks for forgiveness, fully intending to do it again. Not like somebody that, say, looks at pornography and then ask God to forgive him, fully intending to do it again. And then a little bit later, he does it again, and he asks God to forgive him. And then a little later, he's doing it again, and he asks God to forgive him. That's a person that's walking in that sin, not really turning from it. Or two that are dating, and they know that they shouldn't be having, they shouldn't be involved sexually, but if they're doing things together, they ask God to forgive them, fully intending to do it again. We're to come to God as those who are genuinely sorry and who are determined not to do something again. So that if you have, for example, that person that has fallen into that grievous sin of looking at pornography, that he's resolved never, never, 
never doing that again. That he's resolved. And he comes to God and asks God to forgive him. And he feels so ashamed of what he's done, he asks to, for, Lord, forgive me. And lead me not into temptation. Deliver me from evil. Wanting forgiveness and deliverance. And then that one praying for strength. That's coming to God. Genuinely looking to God for the strength that we need. To fight and to resist the foe. And in our battle, it's good for us always to remember what Christ went through to save us from our sins. He died that we might be delivered from our sins. And when we do something that we ought not do, Or if we fail to do what we know we're supposed to do. We fall into sin and we remember the cross. Christ died to deliver, to save us from our sins. And how it grieves us to think that here our Lord has gone through the agonies of hell for us. In our place. And then we're going to do the opposite of what he tells us to do? The God who loves us and sends his son, and his son lays down his life for us, and that we, that we might be delivered from our sins, and then we're going to do that? What well, we know he's told us not to do. We remember the cross, and we in our in sorrow come to God asking him to forgive us. We're so thankful for the cross, and we look to God for grace to fight, to resist. And it's good also for us to remember what we vowed when we made confession of faith. We vowed that we would adhere to this doctrine, Reject all heirs, repugnant thereto, and to lead a new godly life. To lead a new godly life. And we said we were resolved to do that. We, not, we didn't just say we know we're supposed to do that. But the question that's asked is, are you resolved? by the grace of God to adhere to this doctrine to reject the heirs to lead a new godly life are you resolved to do that you know you're called to do it my question to you is are you resolved and we answer yes to that we say by the grace of God I am resolved we say that knowing we're going to fall far short of the mark But we say that that is honestly our desire. And that we despise our sins. And we really want the grace to resist our 
foes. And we look to God for the grace, and we believe his promises. And God does speak here in this passage of his promises. It says here, Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Ye may be able to stand. And then there is a repetition of that idea. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day. That in the evil day, you may be able to stand. That there are times of temptation and trials. That you may withstand. That you may be able to stand. And having done all to stand, stand therefore. You see that repetition of that idea. And then bringing that in connection with this idea of praying. When we pray to God for the grace, genuinely from the heart, constantly and strenuously to resist our foes, when we ask God for that strength, he hears our prayers. Ask, and ye shall receive. And we are to pray to God for that grace that we might withstand. Praying with confidence, believing that if we, if we genuinely look to God for grace, he will give us grace. Not that it means... That we're now going to receive grace and from now on we're going to live, we're not going to sin. It's never going to be the case in this life that we're going to even do one work that's not defiled with sin. We know that. We confess that. Even our best works are defiled. It will always be that way. It will always be the case that we only have a small beginning of the new obedience. Yet it's also true. That in this battle, he will give us the grace, the strength to fight in the battle. When we are looking to those who are looking to him, praying to him for the grace, God grants the grace that they seek. We fight also as those who are, who know that God's promise is that we will be preserved and that no one can snatch us out of the hand of our God. We don't fight thinking that we could somehow lose our salvation. We, we fight as those who know that it was by irresistible grace that we've been saved and that we will be preserved. We confess the preservation of the saints. The whole fifth, the, the fifth head of the canons is on the preservation of the saints, and we believe that. We confess that there's nothing that can separate us from the love of our God. No one can snatch us out of our Savior's hands. We fight our foes knowing that and thankful that we know that we're safe in Christ 
as those who are thankful, who know we are saved and we certainly will dwell with our God forever, as those who know that our salvation is all of God, we want to do what is to the glory of God out of thankfulness for our salvation. And we look to God for the grace to fight. And the Spirit of God sanctifies us and strengthens us. And when we fall into sin, renews us to repentance. We're to pray with confidence. We're to keep fighting and to keep praying, not only for ourselves, not only for our children, and for our grandchildren, which we do. We pray not only for ourselves, but we pray for our children, we pray for our grandchildren. The children here and the grandchildren here, how often do you think your parents and grandparents pray for you? But we do. We pray for one another in the battle. We pray with confidence that God hears our prayer. And we pray for all the saints. It says in Ephesians 6, when it talks about us putting on the armor of God, then it says, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. For all the saints. For our brothers and sisters in the Philippines, and our other sister churches in the different nations, even as in the Lord's Prayer, we say, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And we pray in the consciousness, too, that one day we will have the complete victory. And that's in Lord's Day 52, too. It ends that way when it says, till at last we obtain a complete victory. This battle will be over. Though we know Christ has already accomplished what was necessary in the sense that he has reconciled us to God. But we know that in this life there will still be this warfare, but at last we will obtain the complete victory. That's certain. And we fight in that consciousness. And we look forward to that day, and to the return of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. May we fight. May we be strong in the Lord, conscious and confessing that God is the one giving us the strength we need. May we walk with our God and honor him. And may we show forth in our life our thankfulness to him for our salvation in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Let us pray. Our Lord, our God, and our Father, as those who are conscious of the fact that we are engaged in this warfare, we look unto thee, O Lord. We are thankful that thou dost tell us 
about our enemies that continue to assault us, and in our own life we experience the struggle against sin. Lord, forgive us our sins, and Lord, strengthen us and our children and our grandchildren. We come unto thee who art the almighty God, and who art a faithful father. And we come unto thee knowing that thou wilt hear our prayer for Christ's sake. We are thankful for the strength that thou hast been giving us. Thou hast been giving us strength. Though we don't pray, we confess we haven't prayed to the fervency that we ought. We don't serve thee with the zeal that we ought. And we're sorry for that. Lord, forgive us. And Lord, strengthen us. Grant us that strength. We desire to stand strong in these last and evil days. And we confess we don't have that strength. We're weak, so weak in ourselves we wouldn't stand, not even for a moment. But thou art the almighty God, and thou wilt strengthen us. Lord, grant us that grace, we pray. May thy name be praised by us and all thy people, for Christ's sake. Amen.